0: All right, good morning and welcome to Cornerstone. For those of you that are watching online, we're especially glad that you are here. Be sure to check in so that we can stay connected with you. If you are here, make sure that you grab a growth guide and in the growth guide you will find your check-in card and you can fill that out and drop it in the box before you go and you can also text to us, the word here to 603-491-8585. So we are in a series called Praxis Grow, Praxis Grow and Praxis remember is a Greek derived word that's talking about our course of action. These are the things that we regularly do as followers of Jesus, they are not issues of right and wrong but more like spiritual habits, the the elements of a spiritual greenhouse. What are the things that you can do to accelerate and maximize your spiritual growth? And these steps are connected to our model that we are following Jesus' model of praying, teaching and healing and the way that we've translated that is that we know God, we grow together, and we go and make a difference. And this series, of course, called Praxis Grow, is related to the idea of growing together. Uh, And the big idea for the whole series is this, that you must connect relationally in order to grow spiritually. So far we've talked about the next steps. There are six next steps that are everywhere at Cornerstone and the ones that are related to grow are connecting and inviting. Connecting with others in a small group and inviting outsiders in. Uh, Now that we've laid that foundation, we're gonna talk about some of the skills for connecting the skills for relationship, because if you are going to connect with others in a group, then uh, in order for that, those relationships to flourish and for you to connect with others, then you're going to probably need a couple of skills. And one of the skills that you will need is learning how to deal with conflict. So often in church, church relationships, church, mission is derailed by church conflict, that people don't get along and sometimes they don't know how to move past conflict, how to resolve conflict. So today we are talking about this idea of how can I repair a broken relationship, how can I repair a broken relationship? Now, I know that all of you have wonderful relationships with everybody that you encounter. There's nobody at work in your family, in your neighborhood, or in your church that you don't get along with just swimmingly, but there might be others that you will encounter that need this help today. So be sure to pay attention very closely so that you can help others in their relationships since yours are going so well. But but isn't that true, though, that, that no matter how good the relationship, no matter how many, how, how wonderful it is overall, you are going to experience conflict. And sometimes those conflicts result in a broken relationship. So, how do you put things right? And that's the title and the topic for today's message. What we're really talking about is this idea of reconciliation. When a relationship is broken, how do you put things right. And the good news is that in almost all cases, it is possible to do something with a broken relationship, with a relationship that's broken down. You can get skilled at putting things right. And that's the big idea and the good news for today, that it is possible. It's not just that you're at the mercy, you know, things happen and then there's nothing you can do about it. Actually, there are things that you can do about it. You can become skilled at getting over and past the bumps that come up in every relationship. So I'm going to give you some of these uh, skills from the scriptures today. Uh, Here's what they are in overview. Again, don't bother trying to write them down, just uh, listen up and then you'll, we'll come back to them and you can write them down then. First off, acknowledging your unity. What are the things that you have in common? What's the relationship based on? That foundation will be helpful to you in making things right. And then we have to learn how to listen. You listen well enough to understand so much conflict is because we don't understand where the other person is coming from and how do you get to a place of understanding? You have to learn how to listen well. And then in the scriptures, there are principles of reconciliation that we can learn. And so we want to learn and implied in that is to apply the principles of scriptural reconciliation. And then, The challenge for this week is you're going to be on the lookout for ways to put things right with someone this week. Maybe it's a conflict that has been longstanding that you haven't known what to do with. Maybe it's something that will come up in this week uh, that you don't even know is going to happen, but there will be an opportunity, I imagine, for just about all of us to put things right with someone this week. So let's look at it together. I'm gonna do things a little bit out of order than what you're used to. We're gonna uh, get started, but then I'm gonna come to the main scripture, but we'll look at some scriptures along the way as well. Remember, good news, bottom line, if you're taking notes, you can get skilled at putting things right. Let's look first at the idea of acknowledging your unity. Most relationships are built on a foundation of commonality. There's something that you have in common, That's that root word of common and commonality is also the root word of community and communion. Uh, Fellowship, it's what do we have in common? Those are usually the basis. So it's helpful when you are in conflict with someone to remember that there are things that you have in common. There's a reason why you're in relationship with that person and you have to figure out how to rally around that so that you can get past the conflict. Let's look at the scriptural basis. It was very, very, I can't tell you how discouraging it was to me when I realized that most of the New Testament was pastors writing to address problems in churches. That was just so discouraging to me, but that's really what happened, is that basically most of the New Testament is a pastor saying, oh no, things are going wrong in this congregation, I've got to intervene, I've got to do something to help. It was not a good outlook for my vocational choice when I realized that, But, but it is true. And so you see very often, illustrations or uh, case studies, if you will, of how to resolve conflict. And so often, and again, the apostle Paul wrote a good portion of those New Testament letters dealing with conflict in the church. It's amazing how often he comes back to remember who you are. Remember uh, remember that you're in relationship with one another. There's a there's a foundation to that relationship. Let me give you a couple of examples. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth and he said, "Let there be no divisions in the church." Now, why was he writing this? Because he heard that there were divisions in the church. There were breakdowns in the relationship. He inset, it says, it says, instead, rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And he makes it uh, even more explicit in the book of Philippians, Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, he hears about these two women that are in conflict one another, with one another. And he says, now I appeal to Euodia and Sanctity, please, because you belong to the Lord settle your disagreement. Because you belong to the Lord. I've highlighted in the magenta there, I don't know if you notice this or not. What's the, you are united because, in other words, what is he saying? He's saying because you are united in Christ, you are brothers and sisters in Christ, there should be oneness in that relationship. And so any division within the body of Christ is a non sequitur it doesn't fit it's not appropriate because you are one in christ you should be one in that relationship. And so when you have division, when you have antagonism, when you have separation, that doesn't belong. You are united and therefore you should be united in thought and in purpose. You should be of one mind. And then in this passage, you belong. In other words, you're family. You belong to one another. You are related in the family of God through Christ, so this idea that there would be separation and division and antagonism, it just doesn't fit. So he says, settle your disagreement. So one of the things that you can do, when you are, and this doesn't happen just in church, if you are in conflict with somebody at work, uh, presumably you are gathered around the purpose and the intention of that work. There are things that need to be done, and the more that you work together, the more that you are united in thought and purpose, the better you are at accomplishing that purpose. If you got married to someone, you wanted to unite your life with them forever from this point on, and so if there's conflict that arises, then you gotta remember the purpose of marriage is oneness. We need to figure this out. We need to get together. We need to work it out. So focus on what unites you. And let that be kind of a foundational motivation for fixing things and making things right with one another. If you just remember, hey, there's a reason why. There, there are things that we have in common. There are things that we share so let's rally around those and let's remember those and that will help you as you work through conflict. So that's part of the skills. You can become skilled at putting things right. You acknowledge your unity, there's something that unites you, and listen well enough to understand. The book of Proverbs is full of re- relational wisdom and this is one of, those, uh, one of those nuggets. In Proverbs 18, 13 it says, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. That's the message translation, I love that. Uh, Just in case you, they're not cutting any corners, they're not kind of beating around the bush, you don't have to translate that too much in your head. If you answer before listening, that's stupid and it's rude. So obviously, don't do that. The skill of listening is so important. We're talking about how the purpose of marriage is oneness. Uh, we've been going through recently some some preparation for marriage course. And they talk about, one of the early things they talk about in this session on communication is this idea of listening. And they have the people that are preparing to get married to actually go through this exercise. It feels a little pedantic. It feels a little bit like, okay, this is... This is too basic but it's a really good skill and sometimes it's just good to employ it. They say, when, you have, when you're in conflict, what you do is you, the first person gets to explain what's going on from their perspective and the other person just has to listen. They can't interrupt, they can't defend, they can't interject and then once that person has explained their position, then the other person is supposed to repeat that back to them to say, what I hear you saying is, and you don't have to agree, you don't have to, uh, just, by, just by stating it back, you're not saying you're right, but you at least want to be able to explain back to that person what they were saying, and then you ask, is that right? And then the other person can say, yes, that's exactly what I'm feeling, or no, let me, let me explain it a little bit better. What, what are we saying there? If you don't understand the problem, then any attempt that you, that you make to try to resolve that problem is probably gonna be a miss because you're not aiming at the problem. And so often we have a perspective. We think we know what the other person is thinking. We know what their motivation are. We assign motivation, all that kind of thing. When actually what we need to do is actually listen. And listen to the point to, to a state where you can state back to the other person how they are feeling from their perspective, where they'll be shaking their head yes and say, you've got it. Then you have something to work with in order to resolve that conflict. So it starts with listening. Make sure that you understand the problem so that you can actually deal with the problem. And I also love, I'll throw this out as kind of a bonus, one of, the, one of the things that they talk about is so often when you're in conflict with one another, if you were to be asked, what's the problem? You'd say, that person, that, that, that person is the problem. That's why we're in conflict. And in the premarriage marriage course, it talks about, uh, don't, don't forget that there's a problem out there. and This ties together the two things that we just talked about, our unity and listening. Think of it as, okay, we're, we're on the couch together, the problem is out here, and we're gonna attack the problem together. The problem isn't sitting next to you, the problem is out there, so let's work together because we're in this together to solve the problem, not attack one another. And so often in relationships, and especially in marriage, I think God, uh, the, the differences that we have with one another, the the reasons that we rub each other the wrong way sometimes is because we are so different. And we think that sometimes that's a problem. If this person was just like me, everything would be fine. You know, it's because they're so different. They're the problem. No, actually those differences are God's gift to you to fill in the gaps in your life. And so look at that person and their differences in all kinds of relationships as God's gift to you rather than the problem. And sometimes that will help as well. So good news is you can get skilled at putting things right. Focus on the things that unify you and then make sure that you listen well enough to understand and then make sure that you learn the scriptural principles of reconciliation. Did you know that Jesus in his teaching taught us how to make things right with one another? And I'm going to look at two passages. These are the key passages for that. They deal with both situations when someone has sinned against you, or someone has, or you have sinned against someone else. And these uh, two are in parallel. Very different situations. You've wronged someone, or someone has wronged you. But the principles are the same in each case. So I'm going to read through it quickly, and then we'll look at them together. This is Matthew chapter five. Verses 21 to 26, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And then Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. So let's start in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. And this is what it says. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you are even angry with someone you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court, and if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Pretty serious. So, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Flip ahead to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So, let's look at that together because in those, in those two passages, short passages really, are the principles for putting things right. Number one thing you have to remember in the midst of conflict is that the goal in the midst of that conflict is reconciliation. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is not to make that person understand. The goal is not to express your anger or get something off your chest. The goal is to make things right, to put things right in the relationship. Where do we see it in Matthew chapter five? Very clearly, go and be reconciled to that person. What happens when you're reconciled? Things are restored. Things are made right in the relationship. In Matthew chapter Chapter 18, this is the way it's talked about. If the other person listens and confesses it, in other words, they're presented with their sin and they actually listen. And remember the concept of listening in the Bible is not just sound waves hit your ears. It's that it's taken in, you do something with it, they've received it. If the person listens and confesses, you have won that person back. You've restored the relationship you have redeemed the relationship. So that's an important thing to remember. When you are working through something, the goal is reconciliation. So what can you do to work towards that? Secondly, the thing that you see here is that the responsibility is mine. I hate this part because I feel like if somebody has sinned against me, it should be their responsibility to come and apologize to me. And whenever you are in conflict with someone, especially if you are the offended party, it's hard to take the responsibility. It's hard to take the initiative. But this is the genius of Jesus teaching on this. You can always do something about it. The responsibility is yours. They did something wrong to me. Go and try to be reconciled. I realize I did something to them. Then you go. And you take the initiative to try to be reconciled. Here's how it's described in Matthew chapter 5. So if you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, and I love this, the, uh, it, the setting here is you are presenting your offering at the temple. You have gone through all the trouble to travel to Jerusalem, because you probably didn't live there, and you have bought an animal in order to sacrifice it. Then you st- stood in line to go up to the priest, and you're ready to present your sacrifice, and then you remember, oh, somebody has something against me. You're supposed to just leave it there and go and be reconciled. What is Jesus saying? He's saying it's more, relationships are more important than religious activities, right? You can do all the religious activities and jump through all the religious hoops, but if your relationships aren't right, things are not right. So he's saying prioritize that. So you remember that somebody has something against you, Go and be reconciled. And then in Matthew 18, what's the situation? Somebody sinned against you. Some, so either somebody has something against you, or you have sinned against, You have been sinned against. Whatever the. Wait a second, I got that confused. You know the idea, it's you, you did something wrong or they did something wrong, whatever the case may be, you go, go is the common word in both of those chapters, right, uh, who is, that's an imperative, uh, and who is the subject of that imperative? It's unstated, you, you go, you go. So the responsibility is ours. Another thing I want you to notice about this is uh if it's another believer now this is focused this passage it says literally brothers and sisters it's talking to believers it's primarily concerned with making things right within the body of christ but these principles apply no matter where you are a person doesn't have to be a believer for this for these principles to work or for they to be for them to be applied but so just remember that. And then the other thing I want to point out is that it says go privately. And this is, this, this, if you want to be skilled at this, you want to get good at this, this is a, this is a killer. So often somebody does something and we want to feel justified. We want, we want other people to be angry at them. We want other people to feel sorry for us and to... to, to, to um, for them to resonate with how we are feeling about the situation so we don't go to the other person that we're in conflict with instead we tell a friendly audience right we go, we go to the people that we know don't like that person anyway so they'll agree with me or they like me and so they'll agree with me and we just want to feel reinforced in our anger and frustration with that person and to make them feel like they're you know well, yeah I'm right they're wrong that's not going to help with reconciliation. Because what does that do? It brings in, it actually spreads the problem, spreads the, spreads the dissension and the division because what you've done is you've taken another person that doesn't have any problem with that person and now given them a problem with that person that they can't easily resolve because it's all about you and that person, it's not about them. So that's why it says go privately. Go privately, go to the person that you have a problem with. And then the, uh, what you see there in Matthew 18 is an, a, a program for res- working towards resolution, reconciliation, even when the first attempt doesn't work, because sometimes it's not gonna work. So it says, first you go privately, just one-on-one, see if you can work it out, because remember the goal is reconciliation. Sometimes that's not gonna work, they're not gonna listen, you won't win your brother back. And so then that's when you call others in. Now you don't call others in to gang up on that person and to browbeat them into submission, that's not the the idea. Remember the goal is reconciliation. So the only reason that you bring others in is if that's going to help you work towards reconciliation. That's what your goal is. And so that's why Jesus is prescribing this. It's not so that you can gang up on the other person. It's because you guys need help. It's not working out. So bring others in that can help you. And then, it says, then if that doesn't work, tell it to the church and then treat them as tax collectors and sinners. And I think sometimes people get the wrong idea that it's like, okay, if they won't listen, then we can really treat them poorly. Then we, then we can ostracize them, we can talk bad about them, we can despise them. I, again, love the message translation because I think it pulls out the idea behind this. Let's look at that last verse in the message translation. If he, the person that, that has been sinning, won't listen to the church, You'll have to start over from scratch. Confront him with the need for repentance and offer again God's forgiving love. When Jesus said, treat them as tax collectors and sinners, he, he wasn't saying ostracize them and, and talk bad about them. He was saying, look, you got to start from scratch. I mean, how did Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners. He, had, as we saw in the last week or so, he invited himself over for dinner and said, hey, let's have a party together and invite all your other tax collector and sinner friends and we'll all get together. What was he doing? He was, he was starting at the beginning. And so what, what this is saying is, if you get to the point where a person is non-repentant and they're clearly in the wrong, then what you're dealing with there is probably an unregenerate person. They're not repentant. And so you have to go back to the beginning, to the gospel, and say, look, what you really need is a come-to-Jesus moment. Literally, literally. It's like, okay, you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to acknowledge your sin and that Jesus died on the cross for those sins. And then you need to say yes to his leadership, his lordship in your life. And that's where you start. And that's why I, every week, We'll talk about taking the most important step. We talk about taking next steps at Cornerstone. Well, have you taken the most important step? That's when you say yes to Jesus. Yes to his forgiveness. I want what you did on the cross to count for me. Yes to his lordship and leadership. From this point on, you're the boss. You get to call the shots. Then, this all makes sense then you have a transformed heart and you're willing and able to in humility acknowledge your sin and work towards reconciliation so if you haven't taken the most important step yet that's the first thing that you need to do so we've talked about the steps the third one is perhaps the most challenging goal is reconciliation responsibility is mine and the time is now Now it's kind of implied in the second one, but it's really made explicit in that chapter five passage. It says, as we've already said, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Even if you are in the midst of the most holy place on earth, as far as they were concerned, doing one of the most important religious things they could possibly do is forget about that, go and prioritize the relationship prioritize reconciliation and do it now nothing you're doing is more important than this and then in that next uh, paragraph it says this settle your differences quickly now in that passage it's talking about uh, uh, a law court setting it's like somebody's suing me they've got something against me and uh, we're on our way to court And if things don't go well, then things are not going to go well for me. And so the faster that I settle things, the faster that I make things right, the better it's going to be for me. Because the longer you let that conflict fester, the longer that you don't have reconciliation, the more that cancer is just going to spread throughout the relationship and it becomes harder and harder. So Jesus says, settle your differences quickly. And then lastly, you'll see in your notes that I put that there's also an art to this, to reconciliation as well. These are some skills. These are things that you can apply across the board. There's a little bit of art to it as well. And so I wanted to make sure that I mentioned these two verses because I think that they add some important nuance to what we've been talking about today. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome is kind of wrapping it up and he's just giving bullet points of things that he wants them to remember and things that he wants them to understand. And in the midst of this, he says in verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, there's some important stuff in there. If possible. In other words, even if you are really skilled, even if you know the scriptures inside and out, even if you apply everything that we've been talking about perfectly, there, there are two people in this relationship. And it could be that you know, it's not gonna be all up to you. And so do everything you can, as far as it is, depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. But also don't take on a responsibility that is not yours. Some people just aren't gonna be reconciled. Some people just aren't going to repent. Some people just aren't going to listen. So if you get to a point where you've done everything that you can and it's still not resolved, don't take that responsibility on yourself because it just isn't always gonna happen. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. And then another nuance to this, this comes from the book of Proverbs again in chapter 19, verse 11. And I've mixed together two translations because I think that this brings out the idea best. Uh, It says, sensible people control their temper. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Most of the time, our problem is that we don't address issues that need to be addressed. And so this is my encouragement to you to not let issues sit, to if you can do anything, take the initiative, make things right. But sometimes you're gonna realize, you know, the reason I'm upset, this is more about me and my issues than that person. And there are sometimes where you're like, if I, if I just, uh, it, it's choose your battles, right? If I just go after every little problem, then, then that can be detrimental as well. So you need God's wisdom in this. Number one, sensible people control their temper. Pick your time. Don't, don't go at this when you're, in, when you're red hot and you're flaring. That's probably not a good idea. And then sometimes, it's to your glory to overlook an offense. And uh, glory is the idea of credit. It's it's to your credit if sometimes you just kind of overlook something. Say, I'm not going to take that personally. This is maybe more about me than them. Or I understand they were just having a bad day. This isn't an issue that I need to hammer anybody about. Sometimes it's just to your glory, it's to your credit to overlook an offense. How are you going to make this decision? Well, clearly you're not going to try to address something if you're in your temper is out of control remember be filled with the holy spirit that means the holy spirit is supposed to be the controlling influence in your life not anger if anger is the controlling influence in your life it's time to pull back and wait wait just a minute give it a minute and you're going to need god's wisdom say lord is this something that i need to address or is this more about me is this something that i need to address Or were they just having a bad day? This isn't really really their character. This isn't who they are. This isn't something I need to address. It'd be better just to overlook this offense and just go on with the relationship. God will give you that wisdom, I believe. So today, we've been talking about reconciliation. Good news is you can get skilled at putting things right. You don't have to always be in conflict. There are things that you can do. You acknowledge your unity. You listen well enough to understand. And now you have the scriptural principles to make reconciliation happen. So again, this is my challenge to you. Put things right with someone this week. I've been giving some version of this message for over two decades now. And one of the first times I delivered this message at Bedford Community Church in Bedford, New Hampshire, the next week, A guy came up to me afterwards, and he wasn't a regular, wasn't somebody that I knew really well at the church, but he said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I listened to your message last week, and especially that part about the time is now and taking the initiative, and you wouldn't know this about me, but my daughter and I have been estranged for a very long time, and I went home last Sunday afternoon, and I picked up the phone, and I called her. And things are not right yet. Things are not all better. But we've broken the ice. We're taking a step where I, I think things are going to be better now. That's gold for a pastor, right? right? If somebody listened and actually did something with it, and God moved in the midst of that. There are some relationships that you think are beyond hope things that you're like, this isn't going to do any good. And maybe God is just putting on your heart. It's time time for you to take the initiative. It's time for you to work towards reconciliation. And the time is now. I don't know how this is going to hit for every single one of you, but I would just pray and hope for you that you would have an openness to God's spirit and that you would say to him, you know, our whole faith is about setting things right, putting things right, relationships, relationships. Is there anything that you want me to do? How can I put something right with someone this week? Listen, obey, and see what God might do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, I love you so much, and I love that, um, you made a way for us to be reconciled to you because we certainly did not deserve that and we certainly could do nothing to earn it and it was so costly, cost you your son and yet you did it because relationships are that important and you made a way for us to be made right with you. Thank you Lord for forgiving us. Thank you Lord for inviting us in. Thank you Lord for adopting us in your family Thank you, Lord, for giving us citizenship in your kingdom. And Lord, I pray because of all the places in the world where there should be great relationships, it should be the church. I pray, Lord, that we would be, that this congregation, that your church body, that the Church of Jesus Christ as a whole would be a place where great relationships happen, where conflicts, when they arise, get dealt with and resolved where forgiveness is extended, where confession is made, where responsibility is taken and relationships flourish as a result. Help each one of us to know exactly how you are speaking to us through today's message, what we need to do, and then empower us and propel us to do something with what we've heard today. To your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.